Father God, thank you so much for the privilege to be called your children. We pray and ask that as we study, as we search your word this morning, your blessing would be upon us and you would be our teacher. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been watching for the past uh, few weeks here, we have started a series on the book, the letter, 1 John. And so we started with 1 John chapter 1, the invitation, and then last week we had Pastor Vanessa join us and share a message on uh, 1 John chapter 2, God is, so I am. And today we'll be looking at chapter 3. Chapter 3, children, charts, and trajectories. And so if you want to see some of those past messages, please feel free to go online, adventhope.org, check out our media page, and you can see some of the past messages in this series and previous series as well. Children, charts, and trajectories. If you grew up um, going to church or going to uh, church school, you may be familiar with this song. It goes like this. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the children of God. That we should be called the children of God. And that song is taken directly from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. But the goal with these, these songs was that somehow they would help to formulate a child's understanding of the world. That as they grow older, these tunes, these songs, these scriptures would somehow help them on life's journey. And somehow, songs like these would remind them of who they are and to whom they belong. I find it interesting that the Apostle John here in 1 John, uh, the letter, he continually refers to believers as little children, or just children, children. And so to give the closest example that humanity can understand of our journey with God, he uses the phrase little children, or children. The tone of this letter in its entirety, and I talk a little bit more about context in the very first message of chapter one, is very pastoral. It's full of lessons and things to learn. And so for these new believers who he's writing to in Asia Minor, the letter expounds on details of this new experience with Christianity. What does this look like? How is this supposed to be? And he uses a lot of repetition, right? And repetition indicates an emphasis on something. And so what you'll see repeatedly over and over in these five chapters is little children, children, God's children, children of God. And you'll continue to see that. And so by this particular choice of words, the Apostle John creates word pictures that make what he's saying a bit more relatable. So look at verse 1, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, See what kind of love 
the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We're gonna be looking at that first part. But you'll notice there, we see called children of God. Throughout these five chapters, I believe children is referenced at least 13 times. I mean, 12 to 13 times, you can actually count it. But he continues to use it. And so the term children or little children, it has this, it's, it's like a term of endearment. But also, it's a term that implies a certain level of expectation. Most people, for example, don't expect for children to be perfect, but we do expect them to grow. We don't expect them to be perfect, but we do expect them, expect them to grow. They grow out of their habits, they grow out of trends and music tastes, they grow out of clothes, right, because they get bigger, they grow out of certain ideas that they've had or beliefs about the world or about themselves. And to embarrass myself a little bit this morning, when I was a little girl, I used to think, and I'm ashamed now, but I used to think that teachers and celebrities did not use the bathroom. Because I'd never seen it. I just, I couldn't conceive of it. It just, it just wasn't a thing. And so I grew up. <laughs> and I grew out of that belief. And then I became a teacher. <laughs> but, at, but that's what we expect. We expect for, for children to grow up and grow out of these things because that is one of the fundamental realities of being a child, being a child experiencing growth. When I was younger, um, I think probably everyone has a, a preferred method of self-soothing, and mine was thumb-sucking. So I was a thumb sucker. And I am 100% certain that my mom did not expect me to be a thumb sucker into my adulthood. <laughs> I'm very sure. And she expected me to grow out of that. And to give a little two cents to the story, she promised me that for every day that I didn't suck my thumb, she would give me 25 cents. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my money. <laughs> um, but soon, eventually, with time, I grew out of that habit, no longer sucking my thumb, praise God. But as we mature, right, as we, we, we change, we tend to leave behind things that no longer resonate with our present state or our present experience. This is the same expectation with the children of God. We grow, we mature, we change. God's expectation for his children is to grow, is to mature, is to change. Look at verse two. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. I love that verse. We shall be like him. We shall see him 
as he is. So those of you with, with children, with young children, at this moment, right, who your child will be or who they will become in the future at the end of their experience, it has not yet been manifested. We don't know yet. It hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. We can't fast forward into the future and see the ending or the outcome of our child's life or our children's. And this is kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the movie, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And it's uh, this movie with Brad Pitt, and he ages backwards. So he starts old, and then we see his transformation in reverse. That is not how this works. <laughs> the difference, though, the difference when we're talking about the children of God, when we're talking about spiritual children, is that John says that he actually does know the ending point. Because when God appears for the second time, the reason we will be able to see him face to face in all his glory is because we shall be like him. Right now, no human being can see God and live. In fact, God tells Moses that in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, and he tells him, look, Moses, no man can see God and live. But John says, right now, who you're going to be hasn't happened yet. But there is one thing that is completely 100% for sure. The end goal. The arrival point. Even though your end self hasn't manif manifested yet, he says, I know the ending of every child of God. The ending of every child of God is to be like him. In character, in harmony of thought, motives, and actions, not robots. We each have our own personality, we have our own backgrounds and experiences that make us who we are. But the arrival point of every person born of God is the same, but the journey is different. The ending is the same, but the journey is different. Same end goal, to be like him. Same trajectory or general direction of light. In chapter one, we talked about walking in the light as he is in the light. If we're all walking in the light, we'll be walking in the same general direction, the same trajectory, but completely different life experiences or journeys. We'll call that the journey, we'll call it our chart. For example, when you go to, if you have a, a doctor that you um, attend, they will say, hey, download our mobile app and you can get your chart. You can see your appointments, you can see what we've scheduled, or the prescriptions you have, you can see your chart. And so, for the sake of example, if we were to speak about the Christian walk in terms of everyone having their own graph, their own chart with points plotted, we would come to discover similarities and differences in every born-again Christian's chart. Although we know the ending, 
Although we know the general trajectory of the points, which would be, you know, indicating growth or a spiral upwards, the plots on the graphs, on the graph, would manifest themselves in varied patterns. If we were to track the points, the line wouldn't be the same for everyone. No Christian has a plotted graph without dips or bends, without perhaps some flat lines or stagnant moments. There are zigzags, there are highs and lows. There may be even a period of time where there are no points at all. But rest assured that if you are walking in the light, even if your journey even, if you're, even though your life chart is completely different from your neighbors, the end goal of wholeness, of health, or the end goal of being like Jesus is the same. John said, we shall see him because we will be like him. Verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Purification is the process of extraction, right? It's a removing of things that don't quite belong. We could also say that, that ultimately purification is a process of growth. And so John continues to expound on this idea of purification and what it looks like. And so he follows it up with some information in verses four through six. He says this, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. I like how the ESV renders this passage. It says, practice of sinning, or no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. A purification process can take time. It takes time to undo things that are so intricately woven into who we are. Keeps on sinning. I want to look at these words, or makes a practice of sinning. Now, this is another somewhat embarrassing moment for me as something that I made a habit of. So I decided randomly one day that uh, some years back, I didn't need cups. I'm a single bachelorette, and I opened the fridge and drink juice out of the carton, out of the gallon. <laughs> No, not the classiest thing. I know, I know. Also not the most sanitary thing. I also know that. I also know that I can't really share that, whatever I was drinking, with anyone who may come over. I know, I know that. But I did. Who wants to wash cups anyway, right? So <laughs> I'd guzzle, and, and, and I would drink from the carton, and I, it became so regular, so habitual. It was like second nature, right? Like I said, 
Not the greatest idea, because now I'm trying to break myself of the habit. I've grown out of that. <laughs> but it became something I didn't even think about. This cultivation of practicing to do something the wrong way is what John is talking about. It's the experience of knowing that something is not good and that there's light shining on it, you're aware of it, and you continue to do it or you engage in it until it becomes a habit or a practice that is a normal part of your life. He says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Throughout John's letter, he'll continue to repeat these ideas from previous sections, and he speaks earlier on this train of thought about sin. Look at chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, and it says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Being born of God and abiding in him will change the way you live your everyday life. Let me say that one more time. Being born of God and abiding in him, John 15 talks about abiding in the vine. That will change the way you live your everyday life. This is the purification being spoken of. You cannot live a life closely connected to God and then also make a regular practice of sinning. It's one or the other. Now, if you abide in Christ, this is the idea, is that you will make a practice of righteousness and not a practice of sin. Now, does that mean you won't make mistakes? No, that's not what it means. The verse John chapter 1 says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's not what it means. Now, does this mean if anyone sins, that, excuse me, does this mean uh, is this practice of righteousness self-motivated? Also, no. It is not self-motivated. That's the whole idea of being born of God, being born of the Spirit. God then becomes the motivator behind your motives, your thoughts, and your actions. Sin, and let's talk a little bit about sin for just a moment here, sin and righteousness. Sin is not only an act. It is a mindset. It is a state of being. It penetrates deep down to our motives, to our thoughts, and to our actions. Our sinful actions are a byproduct of our status as a sinner. The things we do wrong, the things that are unjust or ultimately selfish, it's what we're talking about. So for believers, our status change from sinner to child of God, okay, when we're spiritually reborn, begins this process 
of sanctification, this purification, where God begins to harmonize our being with himself. He begins to harmonize our motives, our thoughts, our actions with himself. And the process takes time. It's very common uh, for human beings to think right things and then manifest the wrong actions. In fact, in Romans 7, Paul was saying the same thing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. But Moses, remember Moses, before he, uh, God called him to deliver Israel, he had an understanding that he was supposed to deliver them, that they were in captivity and they needed to be free. So he took it upon himself to try and make that happen, and he ended up murdering a man. Good intentions, wrong actions. Or human beings think the wrong things and practice good things. A lot of humanitarian efforts are good, but a lot of times the motive behind a number of them are not. Backwards. The difference between good acts and righteous acts is their motivation and their harmony with God. Righteousness is a status that is only given by God. The harmony between right being, right thinking, and right doing can be defined as righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness, right? And I'm gonna clarify this, it gets a little deep. Jesus is our righteousness because we abide in him we receive his status. It's called imputed righteousness. But let me say it like this. While God is sanctifying us, okay, purifying, while our life chart is zigzagging to and fro, while we're in the process, uh, like a child, of learning to harmonize with God, our status reads righteous not pending, not has not yet arrived. <laughs> it reads righteous, why? Because our faith in Jesus Christ and his promise of our end goal of arrival, of being like him, is sure. It is sure, the Bible said, when we see him, we'll know we will be like him. We shall see him as he is because we shall be like him. If we abide in Christ, you will be like him when he comes. You will. That's where the faith come in, comes in. That is righteousness by faith. When you believe that, when you believe that, I think it helps us to understand our walk a little bit better, a little bit 
better. The process of sanctification and purification is God aligning and directing and harmonizing our life with his through the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in chapter four. Look at verse seven through 10. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He doesn't hold anything back there, very candid. But if you were ever concerned about the progress of your walk with God, if you were unsure, if you were not sure, if you were really connected, right, or abiding. John says that there is a way, there is a way to measure and evaluate yourself. The latter portion of verse 10 says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, and then this too, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Hmm. Love in our hearts is the motivator of our actions and also the predictor of our end goal. Say that again. Love in our hearts, and the Bible says in 1 John 4 verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If we just swap those out, God in our hearts is the motivator of our actions and the predictor of our end goal. You can't be born of God and not have love in your heart for other people. Love is not static. Love is dynamic and it manifests itself most clearly in our relationships with other people, with our family, with our friends, with strangers, with enemies, with those who get on your nerves, <laughs> with those in your church community and with those outside of the church community. That is an indicator of your trajectory, your general direction. Matthew 25, verse 40, Jesus is speaking here and he's talking about the sheep and the goats. And he says, what you do unto the least of these as you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So what we do to others is as if we're acting and doing it on Christ. And it's interesting though, because when you have love in your heart, love, love makes you deal with hard issues. It, it, it makes you deal with those tough situations. It makes you confront those uncomfortable things. It keeps poking you. 
Now, obviously, there are very difficult situations, and when you're working with two people, not everything gets resolved. But, and you know, boundaries are needed in, in some circumstances, right? But ultimately, with your relationships, having love in your heart doesn't allow you to jump over things that should be addressed, right? Confronting the tough issues. Love. Children, charts, and trajectories. Like little children, we are learning to grow in love. We are learning to walk in harmony with Jesus Christ. It is a walk. It is a process. It's an experience that will take time. And the life chart, or our life chart, the chart of our journey, it will be unique and different from anyone else's. Some will be squiggly and some will be up and down and here, a little there, a little, some with outliers. The mistakes we make, the lessons we learn, the victories we experience, plot different points on our imaginary chart. But if we abide in Christ, if we stay connected, the trajectory is up and the ending is sure. The ending is sure. When I was younger, I'm telling a lot of childhood stories and memories, I was a dancer. I did ballet and I did jazz and I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a choreographer. And so I would just eat, sleep, and breathe dance. I would watch, and I would put on my ballet shoes in the kitchen and twirl around, and I'd go to class, and I was attentive. I would watch the older classes, watch how they put on their point shoes, and I just, I just wanted to be immersed in that world. I would even sleep in my leotard sometimes, just because I just so, I don't know what that did for me, but <laughs> so badly wanted to be a dancer. But we kind of, we do the same thing with our children or those who we're bringing up. We immerse them in the things that we want them to have associated with their life, that we want them to identify with. If you want your child to be a basketball player or um, a sports fan, you immerse them in that world. You talk basketball, you watch basketball, you play basketball. If you want them to be friendly, you model friendliness. You show them friendly people. You immerse them with people who are friendly. If you want them to be kind and compassionate, you exemplify being kind and caring. You put them in situations where people are kind so that they can learn that. And friends, if our end goal is to be like Jesus, if our end goal is to be individuals with hearts full of love, we must immerse ourselves in such a space. Through our prayers to God, through our study of God, through the association and, and, and engagement with saints who are connected to God, through services that God would do, 
by abiding in the one whom the scripture defines as love, we will become like him. So that when he comes, we shall see him as he is because we will be like him. Those, those are the children of God. And so the apostle John says, look, behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. It's an honor and it's a privilege to be like Jesus. Is that your hope? Is that your desire? I pray that it is and I also pray that that will be our experience.